Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Mike Caviani. Mike is originally from Long Island, New York, and is currently living in Hawaii. He joined the Navy in 2002 and has served for over 19 years. In conjunction with his Navy career, Mike is a licensed realtor associate and a personal finance coach. With his military retirement approaching, his focus shifted to financial independence and entrepreneurship. Mike is the host of the Average Joe Finances podcast, a top 1% internationally ranked podcast. Mike's mission is to provide relevant and informative content that will help others in their own financial independence journey. Wealth Science, I bring you the godfather of the financial podcasting world, Mike Cab. Welcome to the show, brother. What's going on? Wow, that's uh, quite an intro and uh, quite a title to try to live up to. Um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm humbled. I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, when I look at, and again, I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal here, Mike, but when I look at the titans of the financial podcasting world, I mean, you are up there with what you've been able to do with Average Joe. So just, again, it's a privilege to have you on today and to have the uh, opportunity to interview you. For the people who may not know who you are or know the Average Joe's podcast, I mean, can you take a couple of minutes and just introduce yourself? Sure, sure. Yeah, the the privilege, though, is actually mine uh, for, for being invited on your show. I'm super excited. Um, I, I saw this this show being built from the beginning. Uh, I remember us chatting a lot about it and just seeing what you were able to do in in this uh, small amount of time since you started the podcast is just overwhelmingly awesome. So I just want to point that out before I before I go off on my little tangent here. Okay. So yeah, my name is uh, Mike Cavagioni. I'm the host of the Average Joe Finances podcast. Like he said, been in the Navy for over 19 years. I am retiring this year from active duty. Super stoked about that. Um, But let's uh, rewind back a little bit. I'll tell you guys about uh, where I came from, how I got to where I am today. Um, So I am originally from Long Island, New York, and uh, I was actually born in Florida for uh, many, many weird reasons that can be a whole different podcast episode, but basically my parents were, were uh, let's say, wanted in New York and they, you know, had to go somewhere else. And uh, so I was born in Florida, unlike the rest of my siblings, and uh, moved back to New York when I was very, very small, lived in the Bronx for a very short time before we moved out to Long Island, New York. And that's where I grew up and spent my entire childhood. So I didn't grow up in the best neighborhood on Long Island. It was, in fact, one of the worst and uh, I joined the Navy because I wanted to get as far away from there as possible. So that was like the the end goal when when it came to that. So joining the Navy, uh, I joined as an E1, uh, very bottom of the bottom, and worked my way up to E6, and then applied for a commission, got picked up, and commissioned as an officer at my nine and a half year mark. Uh, and here I am, uh, pretty much exactly ten years later. 
uh, and getting ready to uh, retire, which I'm, I'm super excited about. Um, I have deployed multiple times. I've done boots on the ground deployments in, uh, in Baghdad. Um, that was an interesting take for somebody who's normally on a ship out to sea. Um, but I got to do some really awesome things with some really awesome operators and I just had a really great time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a whole mix of, of emotions when I look at my military career coming to an end, but with that brings so much more and, and so much more exploration for me to do for myself, my family, my career. And when I say my career, I mean, my career as an entrepreneur, right? So a couple of years ago, uh, I, I decided I wanted to really get into investing in real estate. Uh, we moved out here to Hawaii. We Actually, I'll rewind back a little bit more. When we were back in Virginia Beach, before I went to uh, Iraq, we had about $28,000 in credit card debt. We had a couple loans. Uh, and if I added that all up together, I don't even know what that amounts to. But it was a lot of money that we owed. And my wife and I came up with a plan. We came up with a spending plan to basically pay off all of our debt and have enough money saved up to go buy a house in a two-year period. So we, we were able to pay off all of our debt and have $40,000 in our account when we moved to Hawaii. So we said, okay, cool. We're, we're all set. We're good to go. We're going to move to Hawaii and buy a house. Well, we get to Hawaii. First of all, uh, the, the housing market out here was very difficult even before the pandemic. So we get out here and we're trying to find a house. I mean, we put a contract in on four different properties before finally on the fifth one, we got it accepted. And we get this property going and I'm, I'm you know, I'm pre-approved for a loan and I start talking and the VA is like, okay, hey, submit all your paperwork. I submit my paperwork and the VA says, hey, we, we have something here on your record that says uh, you're not eligible for your VA loan. And I said, wait, uh, I think I know what that's from. So rewind back a little further in 2012, I had to short sell my first property uh, that I had bought in 2007. Now, think of the year that I bought that property. I bought it in 2007. I bought it for 250000 I sold it for 157000 The VA ate that cost. So the VA said, for me to get my eligibility back, I had to pay $67,000 to get my VA eligibility back. And I said, well, that's not going to uh, work right now. I've got 40. <laughs> so <clears throat> we... um. They, they took a look deeper and they said, okay, well, we see this flag here, but we're looking at the paperwork and it wasn't filed on time. It was filed the day after it was due. So actually you have your eligibility. This is null and void. And I was like, what? So someone was looking out for me. I, I don't know if it was somebody at the VA or somebody upstairs. I had some type of divine intervention there because that was phenomenal. So we got the VA loan, got our home. And it was awesome. And I still had to put a little bit down because at the time, the VA loan only went up to $721,000, I think, and $50. Uh, and this house we purchased was seven eighty five. dollars So we had to put one-fourth of that uh, that leftover down. Um, so that's fine. That ate into a little bit of the forty k that we had left. The rest of it we used to do renovations. We completely gutted the place. Um, well, not gutted the entire place, but the kitchen, three of the bathrooms, uh, and one of the bedrooms. So it was it was definitely a lot of work that we put into it. Um, that definitely cost more than what we saved up. So we racked up a little more debt on that side and we had to come up with a plan to pay that back off. So we did. Um, and now here I am, we refinanced the house at two and a quarter percent, which saved us a significant amount of money. And, uh, I decided, you know, Hey, I know we had that bad first taste with that first property that we bought that we had to short sell because that I was an accidental landlord with that, right. I was renting that out. Uh, and when I lost my tenants, I couldn't replace them. And, that's when I wound up having to short sell it. So 
um, that left a kind of a bad taste in, in uh, my wife and I's mouth. And we were like, okay, well, let's look at something else. So I have some friends out here that, that I was stationed with uh, at my first commission command, right? When I was on Theodore Roosevelt and they invest in real estate and they've been doing it for a while. And at the time they had like 27 or 28 doors and they said, Hey, let's have lunch and let's, uh, we'll show you some of our stuff, what we're working with. And um, I said, this is great. Let me talk to the wife, convince her to come. And we're going to do this. So I went, I bought them lunch and brought it over. It was the most expensive tacos I ever spent money on. I think I spent like 90 something dollars on lunch for all of us. It was ridiculous. Um, but anyway, it was totally worth it because we got my wife on board with moving forward. Before we went over there, I had found two deals that I was interested in back in uh, Virginia. So one was in Chesapeake, one was in Norfolk. And I said, Hey, let, can you guys look over my deal analysis? Tell me if I did it right. How does this look? How do the numbers look? And they said, Hey, both of these are good deals, but this Chesapeake one's probably better uh, for, for the cash flow. So I said, Okay, cool. So I showed it to my wife and said, Hey, look, you know, you saw what they're doing. You know what I want to do. You know where, where my passion's at with this. Um, I want to pursue this. I want to put an offer in on this place in Chesapeake. So we did, and we got it, and we bought this uh, duplex in Chesapeake, Virginia. And that was our first, uh, I guess, real taste for it again. And we closed on that property in February of 2020. And then you know what happened in March of 2020? You know, the world ended. So uh, that got very interesting very fast. One of my tenants lost their job, couldn't pay their rent, like immediately. I, I got the first month's rent from them. And then come March, it was, I, oh, actually, no, sorry. I got March, but come April, it was, it was crickets. Uh, so yeah, that got very interesting. And since I was here in Virginia, uh, since I was here in Hawaii and the property was there in Virginia, the military had a travel ban. I couldn't fly over there to see what's going on. I just sent my property manager over and he's going over there and the guy like keeps giving him the runaround. Right. So anyway, fast forward a couple months later, still not able to pay rent. And I can't evict at this time now because that's, we, we had the eviction moratorium come out. So there's nothing I could do. Um, I didn't want to put the guy out on the streets anyway. Like he had his family and everything. Like it was, it was a pretty rough situation. And so I was like, okay, let's think of creative ways to try to get around this. And I just started doing some research. And then I found that the city of Chesapeake had a rent repayment program for uh, tenants that are have that are struggling. So I said, hey, here's this website. Go check it out. Fill out the application, and you know, let me know when you're done with that. And we'll see what happens. The guy never does it. So I said, fine. I filled it out for him, sent it to him, said, please sign this. I'll send it into them. You don't have to worry about it. And it still took me a couple of days to get him to sign it and send it back. But anyway, fast forward, got that done, got back paid all the rent that was owed to me, all the late fees. And I now had a cash flowing property again. And I was happy and smiling. Uh, but the amount of pain and work that this put into, I was like, man, this is like a whole second job. This is so painful. So I said, you know what? I want to sell this property and I want to move on to something different uh, because doing it this way uh, with, because I did everything sight unseen from the, from the purchase to everything. So sold it for about 16,000 more than I paid for it. Thank you. Uh, that was also due to the pandemic. And uh, so I had that, I had the cash flow that I had saved up from it. And I was thinking like, okay, what am I going to get into next? And I found friends that are doing multifamily just for meetups that I go to. And I said, okay, I, I think I really want to do this. I want to put this money in as a limited partner and figure something out. So finally an opportunity came up and I got into a deal as a limited partner. And in doing so, um, you know, I, I went from having just two doors when I had the duplex to having 102 doors. And 
I don't have to do anything with it. And I get a check every month and this is pretty cool. Other people are managing it. I get a nice percent rate of return. And uh, yeah, so I was pretty happy about that. So I was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pursuing this for now while I'm still active duty. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, I, I like to go in as just a limited partner for now. And then when I retire later this year, I'm going to try to be more active. And I've already got a partner that I'm working with back in Virginia. So when I retire, we're, we're going to be working on some stuff. So it's it's pretty exciting. And uh, I'm just, I'm ready to move on to this next stage of my life and keep that going. But yeah, it's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, long story short, you know, started as an E1 doing nothing. Here I am retiring as an O3E and uh, investing in real estate and absolutely thrilled about it. So yeah, like this story is incredible. It crisscrosses so many different directions and I'm just, and I was all over the place, <laughs> dude, I'm just picturing like, you know, moratorium goes in effect, world shuts down. And like what your wife must just be saying to you, like, Mike, you got us into this again at the worst time. I left that part out because you'd probably have to censor the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even tell you the names that I was called. I mean, dude, when that happened, are you thinking like, oh my God, I've got the worst luck in the world. Like a global pandemic is happening literally a month after I close this property. You know, I... I, I didn't look at it that way because it was happening to everybody. Yeah. It wasn't just me. And so I looked at it from that perspective. I said, you know what? I'm not the only person dealing with this. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's some other brand new real estate investors that are going through this right now at the same time as me. I can't be the only one. Um, but at the same time, I said, you know, I do have pretty poor luck with this. And, uh, you know, going from the first one to this one, this is like two strikes. If I get a third strike, I'm out. So going into this uh, JV, uh, I'm sorry, going in as a limited partner into the syndication was, I guess, at least the first, I guess, base hit or double. And my wife was kind of like, okay, this, this is a little bit better. I'm a lot more comfortable with this because there was a lot of research that went to this. Like I'm showing her all the, the slide decks, all the numbers. I was like, look at all the due diligence these guys did. Like I trust these guys. I've been working with them for a while now, talking with them for a while. So, you know, it was a much more uh, comfortable place to be. And I said, look, this is it. If this doesn't work, I'll walk, you know, I'll take my pension and we'll go figure I'll go get another job. I don't want to do that. I'd like to retire from the Navy and just focus on real estate. Uh, So, yeah. And, and this one is working out quite well so far that she said, when's the next one? Like, she's saying that to me. So I'm like, Okay. Yeah. When is the next one? Great question. So now, now I'm, I'm looking and, uh, there was one I almost went in on, uh, but it didn't quite work out. Uh, so there's two more that I'm looking at right now, actually with the same company. The other one that I was going to go in on was with a different company. Um, but that one didn't quite work out because I'm not gonna be able to move and season the funds that I need to move in time that, that I have to wire the money in. So I was like, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm in when I'm at risk of missing it by a couple of days. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. And I think it's super powerful bringing the spouse on board and having that support. Okay. Like in, it, we're in this together. And like, I just got married this past year. I know we're looking to start family here within the next few years, but Congratulations. I mean, I, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And all the time when we're in the car or whatever, her and I are crushing podcasts and she starts asking me questions like, what is that operating income? What, what do you mean the expense ratio? And she, it's just, I would tell anybody out there, it's so much more fun when you've got your spouse on board with so, yeah. Yeah, um, no, I agree. I agree for sure. Yeah. 
Um, I was curious, like, you know, going back to like average Joe and really the why behind that of anybody can attain financial freedom. It doesn't matter if you're blue collar or, or, or wherever you came from, man. I mean, what are your thoughts like on your financial journey and where you've come from so far? How can someone out there start down that financial path? I mean, you talked about eliminating the debt and getting into real estate. You know, what would be, I guess, your thoughts on someone else, you know, beginning their financial journey? Yeah, see, I rambled on so much. I'd even talk about the podcast and and my own <laughs> journey to getting uh, you know, I heard you up so much in the beginning. Too. We didn't even talk in the intro. Uh, yeah, I know. So, I, you know, I think the only thing I really mentioned was that I had all this debt that we paid off. So, l- let me talk about how we paid that off. Okay, first to start that. So, you know, a lot of people hate on them, but we followed Dave Ramsey's baby baby steps, right? Um, I do like baby steps one through three. After that. I don't want to listen to them anymore, right? So the basically, when you get to step three, you have all of all of your consumer debt paid off, right? So all your credit cards, loans, car payment, all that stuff, right? Um, step four, I, I think, is like paying off your mortgage, or, or paying off your mortgage is like near the end, but but that's like you know, I, you don't need to go past that. You pay off all your consumer debt, like all your your quote unquote bad debt. Right. And I say consumer debt because it's credit cards that you spent. You spent the money on like materialistic things. It wasn't anything else. Like I've actually used my credit card when I purchased that duplex. I did a cash advance on it to get a little extra cash to pay for it. Because another thing I didn't mention with that story, uh, because it was a duplex, the the guy originally told me I had to put uh, 15, uh, I'm sorry, um, yeah, 15% down. And Right when we're getting ready to close, like a couple of days before, he's like, oh, hey, sorry about that. It actually needs to be 25% down. You have an extra 10% to put down, right? I was like, yeah, I'll just crap that out. So had to do a cash advance on my credit card and go pay that off, right? So <laughs> I was like, I'm getting this damn property. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so back to the financial uh, freedom. So we we were able to do it. And when we saw that we were able to do it, we were like, okay, let's look at like other people that are doing stuff like this. And there wasn't too much out there. Like there was stuff talking about the fire movement and everything. And we were trying to follow a lot of that. But I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to just invest in like index funds and ETFs and just sit back and, and just pour like all this money into it and then wait till I'm like 40 something. I was like, I want to do something sooner. I was like, if I retire at my 20 year mark, I was like, I'll be 38 years old. And I was like, I want us to be able to go live life and go have fun and go do stuff. Like, I don't want to keep focusing on, you know, living, like being frugal and penny pinching. And like, right now we have to discipline ourselves and do that. Yes, absolutely. But I was like, I don't want to live the rest of my life like that. You know, where, where I feel like I can't go get a Starbucks. I don't really drink Starbucks, but you know, that's the whole example that Dave Ramsey uses. But like, I don't want to have to live like that where I can't just go out and, and grab a cup of coffee if I want, you know? So I said, okay, let's, let's figure something else out. So we, uh, we started, to, we did the envelope method, right? That was one of the ways we, we got out of debt and we, we did a more advanced uh, method. Once we got to Hawaii, we said, okay, we're going to do something called sinking funds. And when I got out to Hawaii and I started doing this stuff, I was like, Hey, you know what? I was like, I, I want to share what I'm doing with other people, because I feel like I really had to do a lot of research and really look this stuff up to find out about all this. Like I had to really dig deep. There's not a lot out there where people are really trying to put out free information to help other people get there. A lot of the stuff is, Hey, buy my budgeting plan, buy this, buy that. And I'm like, I want to put something out there that's going to help people. So I started a blog and we talked about the original story about how we got out of debt. Uh, We talked about the real estate deal. We talked about sinking funds, which I'm going to talk about right now. Uh, but sinking funds is basically the envelope method, but with bank accounts. 
right? So, you know, being in the military, get paid on the 1st and the 15th, we set it up that every time our paycheck hit, the first thing we did was we paid our quote unquote bills. And when I say quote unquote bills, my investment accounts, I counted as a bill and I paid those first. So I paid myself first. I paid the investment accounts. Then we paid all of our bills. Then we put the money to the side into the grocery budget. Then everything else that was left over, that's what we had to, to either put in, you know, more into savings or more into an investment account. So, because we were debt free at the time, right? So uh, we did it that way. So, you know, for most people, if you're not debt free, you would take that extra money and just dump it into debt. Um, but for us at the time, we were debt free. So we would invest it or we would put it in savings. So um, doing it that way, it, it, it was a really good method because it really disciplined us to focus on paying ourselves first, paying our bills. Then we had the money to do what we needed to do with. Now we have several different accounts, right? So I have my main checking account, my savings slash emergency account. I have a pet and vet account. I have a holiday and birthday account because we know how much we're going to spend on every single per person for their birthday and for the holidays. Um, we set that amount. Um, we have a uh, vehicle maintenance account. Uh, what else do we have? We have, um, oh, we have a, a fun money account. Uh, so anything like the, if we're going to spend money to go out to eat or anything like that, which unfortunately we have not really been funding that because, you know, COVID, because uh, we haven't really been able to go out. So um, that money's been getting invested instead. So yeah, that's, so we have all these different accounts and each time we got paid, it would, that money would just get spread out to those different accounts and that was it. And we don't have to worry about it. Everything's set, you know. The holidays just came came to pass. We weren't worried about how much we were going to spend on, on Christmas presents and things like that. We had that money set. We had it already. We said, okay, we know we're getting so-and-so this gift card for this price. Boom, 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 boom. And all the way down to the account got down to like $1.16, like almost to the penny. So uh, that's that's one of the, the things about the, the financial uh, literacy piece that comes with it is discipline. Right. So you have to be disciplined when you do this. And that's one of the things I try to explain to people that are first starting out is you come in, you have to come in with an open mind and you have to come in knowing that you have to discipline yourself to focus on your goals and then you can move forward. And from there, I mean, the world is your oyster. So just shuck it. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much how Average Joe Finance has started the blog. Then a buddy of mine came up to me and said, hey, Mike, I know you like to talk. Yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm talking a lot right now, right? So he's like, hey, I know you like to talk and everything. And, uh, you, you know, you're good with talking with other people. So why don't you take what you're doing with this blog and turn it into a podcast? Because you'd probably be really good at it. Now, my friend had started a podcast and was doing quite well. It was a podcast about... Um, uh, like uh, mental health and spirituality and stuff like that. And he's like, Hey, you know, um, you should do it. Just, just try it out. Uh, I was like, ah, oh, maybe want to get out of the Navy. I don't have the time right now. He's like, no, no. He's like, if, if you do just one episode a month, just do it. I said, fine. So I started it. I said, I want to do one a week. And I, it started to become a job for me because I was putting a lot of time into it. I would spend so much time a week editing. Um, it took me about six months to realize of just pain that this is, this is not going to work if I don't outsource some stuff. So that's why I started looking at outsourcing, hired an editing team, uh, hired some virtual assistants to do like to share my podcast in different groups and on Reddit and all this other stuff. And then I just watched my podcast numbers go from like, you know, 30 to 100 downloads a month 
Then I'm up to a thousand downloads a month. Now I'm over 2000 downloads a month to where I'm at now, where I get over 12,000 downloads a month, according to Buzzsprout, and then over 26,000 downloads a month, according to my, my ad tracker. So it's like, wow. Um, and all it took was me outsourcing a little bit and spending a little bit of money and, and putting into it. Uh, so yeah, that's where it's at now. And, and the podcast pays for itself at this point. Um, because it is monetized. So it works out pretty good. Um, and, and I genuinely enjoy doing it. I genuinely enjoy interviewing people and people coming on and putting out content that's going to help my listeners. Cause that's the whole point. The whole point of this is to get this information out there to make it accessible so people can learn and, and do this in their own life. Because you know, the financial education system in America is broken. There is no financial education in our schools. Um, it's, it's pretty bad. Like, uh, you know, you, you get out of high school, you don't know how to write a check. You don't know how to balance a checkbook. You don't know how to manage your checking account. Uh, you don't know how to save money or invest. They don't teach you any of that. They said, Hey, congratulations. Here's your diploma. You're 18. You're an adult. Bye. And now you go into college and you're spending all this money. And I mean, you don't realize that, you know, the student loans that you're getting into and all the debt that it's going to put you in that you know, I have a friend of mine that graduated from high school with me 20 years ago, and they had about $120,000 in student loans. So far, they've paid about $124,000 into that loan and they still owe $110,000. 20 years later, they only took about $10,000 off their, their principal. That is disgusting. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I think people understanding how uh, interest works, how compound interest works, uh, you know, that's some of the basics, but that's, that's where we need pe people to get to. And all you really need to know is the basics. And after that, get into something that you trust, that you educate yourself on, and uh, you're going to be fine. So yeah. anyway, yeah, long story short, that's, that's about it there. Did I mean so many incredible things in there? And I think what you hit on in the right way back, I mean, what you hit on was just perfect. Everything, a piece of everything I make is mine to keep. And just paying yourself first is such an easy thing to do that so many people out there don't do. And I, I love the aspect of like, dude, this is insane, down to a dollar and 16 cents. Like, you guys, you and your wife are just shit hot, dude. I mean, everything is just planned out down to literally pennies. Dude. That is absolutely insane. And there are no surprises when you're in a situation like that. It's not like, oh my God, we overspent $2,000. It's like, no, dude, you know exactly what you're doing. And I think it starts with having that financial plan of this is how much we're going to spend, you know, per kid. Oh, they want this, you know, we can allocate these funds to make that happen and, and whatever, dude. But yeah, dude, the whole why behind average Joe's, I just love it because it's just, anyone can do this. It's nothing groundbreaking or rocket science. It's, it's so powerful. And I love that aspect of it. You've had so many incredible guests on there, dude. And some of my favorite episodes have been the side hustle episodes. And I think that really, if you just and think of the podcast, I mean, you monetize that it's kind of like a side hustle, you know, it's an, it's another stream of income. What are some of the crazy or maybe interesting side hustles that you've come across that other people could maybe start if it's just a passion project on the side, Mike, that they can start feeding a daily, weekly basis. What are your thoughts on that? And how can people start doing that? Oh yeah, that, that's, that's great. Uh, great question. So there are so many different side hustles that you can get into that can become lucrative enough to become your full-time job and your full-time hustle, right? And uh, you can see up here, I have uh, this sign that says, good things come to those who hustle, right? And, uh, you know, I would say, go listen to episode 40 
of my podcast. Uh, that's when I interviewed uh, Alexandra Fasulo. She goes by Alex Fasulo. Uh, she has a podcast called The Freelance Fairy Tales. She was also featured on CNBC's Make It, right? And uh, I was super humbled when she said yes to coming on my show. And I polled my social media and said, hey, I've got this influencer coming on my show that's done A, B, C, and D. You know, give me some questions to ask her. So I, I had like a little segment on here's some questions from my audience, uh, which was pretty cool, uh, which that, I think that's the only episode I've ever done that on. But anyway, you know, she she shares her story about how she was working in this uh, corporate job, making very, very little money, like making thirty six thousand dollars a year uh, working in New York City, which that is like not even a livable wage. And she started doing uh, freelancing on the side on Fiverr. She was doing, she was doing copywriting and writing, uh, resumes and, and blog articles and, and different things like that and, and press releases. And it started to like really take off for her. So to the point where she said, you know what, I'm walking away from this nine to five job and I'm going to do this full time being a, a freelancer. So she does that. And in her first year, I think she made like 16,000, like wasn't much. Next year, she makes 64000 so already doubled what she was making in her day job. The year after that, she makes 270000 The year after that, she makes like 300 something thousand to the point where over like a four or five year span, she had ma uh, made over a million dollars on Fiverr alone. So that right there is insane. And that's why she got picked up by CNBC's Make It and, and they shared her story. Um, so I found her uh, on, on TikTok, right? Because my kids were on TikTok. I wasn't on it at the time. And they were just looking through and I saw that pop up. I said, hey, wait, go, go back a second. Who, who is that? So I'm looking and it's this, this girl with this bright, fiery red hair talking about side hustles and, and making cash on the side. I said, and I'm looking at her following. She had like a couple hundred thousand people following her. So I said, oh, I, I should ask her to come on my show. So I made a TikTok account and I messaged her. I said, hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast didn't hear nothing back because I think on TikTok, you had to be friends at the time to, to get a message. So I found her Instagram profile, wrote to her on Instagram, said, hey, I run this podcast. This is what it's about. I'd love to have you on the show. She wrote back almost like 10 minutes later and she's like, absolutely, I'd love to do it. So I was like, sweet. So I sent her all the stuff and uh, got her on the show. And she like twisted my arm and said, look, you need to be on TikTok. So that's when I started like actually making TikToks and, and, and started that, that account. Um, and it, it hasn't really like blown up or anything, but it's, it's got me more, uh, podcast listens. So I said, okay, cool. But anyway, back to the side hustle piece, right? So that's, that's what she was doing. She was doing freelancing off on the side. Now you could sit here and you can Google how to make money from home, uh, how to start a side hustle, all this stuff. And you're going to see all this junk pop up, right? Stay away from that crap. There's so many different things you can do. I would say go on social media and follow the people that are actually doing it. You know, affiliate marketing is, is one thing that yes, it can be lucrative, but at the same time, it's very difficult to get into. Like you need to already have a large email list, right? You already need to have all that stuff set in place, a large social media following. If you don't have that affiliate marketing is not really going to work for you. And then you'll see all those gurus tell you, Oh no, you, you could start with nothing. And, and, and no, you're going to waste your time and you're going to waste your money. So if you have a large social media following, hey, look into affiliate marketing. I do it small, like just very small with my podcast. Like I'll put products and stuff up like that and I'll have affiliate links. And every now and then I'll make a couple bucks, but it's nothing, it's, it's nothing that's going to, you know, make me retire. 
right? It's just a little something that helps fund my podcast. So you're not really going to find that stuff. You're going to actually have to put in work. And that's why it's called a side hustle. So if you're looking into something that you think you could just click a few buttons and you're going to make cash, that's not how it works. You have to put in the work. So that's that's the main thing I want to just put out there that uh, a side hustle is a hustle. Okay. Um, don't just think that you're going to go there and get something for free. It, it doesn't work that way. Life's life's not, you know, that easy. So Robusta Move was founded from our passion for two of the most simple and amazing things in life. Good coffee and good music. Both of these enjoyable aspects of life play a vital role in the bringing together of people. And although we understand that everyone's music taste is different, there's no denying that when it comes to coffee, the difference between a good cup and a bad cup is undeniably blatant. That's why in the spirit of community and coming together, we at Robusta Move have made it our mission to supply our customers with superior coffee that you, your friends, and your family can enjoy. And we'll leave the playlist up to you. Visit robustamove.com and save 20% on your first order with the code VINYL. That's code VINYL, V-I-N-Y-L, to save 20% on your first order at robustamove.com. Robusta Move Coffee. Try it today. Yeah, absolutely, dude. I love that episode 40. And I was like, when I asked this question, I'm thinking, what, you know, where are we going to go with it? And it's like, dude, that was one of my favorite episodes. I'm going to put a link to that specific episode. I mean, we're going to talk average Joe's in the show notes and whatever, but dude, I'm, that's such a crazy story. How literally over the course of a few years, she's making over a million dollars just by crushing fiber. Um, see what she's doing now. I I, I talked to her recently and I'm looking at her stuff on, on TikTok now. And she has a entire, company now that does all of her freelance work for her, right? She's outsourced pretty much everything. And she's like living a retired life. She maybe works five hours a week just to go over stuff. She hired a personal assistant that travels everywhere with her, that does all the filming for her vlogs and her TikToks. She's at that point now where she's just, she's able to do whatever the heck she wants. And she built that over a small period of time because she put in the work and the effort up front. And you'll see a lot of haters in the comments saying, oh, you know, it must be nice to live this privileged life. Listen, if you go back to where she started from, she busted her ass to get to where she's at now. And like, I follow her, her content. I'm like, dude, I am like super proud of you. Like you're, you're freaking killing the game. And uh, it's just, it's just awesome to see somebody do that, build from nothing and progress all the way up to where they're at now. And A lot of people that are in those top spots did it that way. They started with nothing, but they put in that hustle. They put in that work. And now that they're, you know, at this pinnacle, you have people that want to come out of the woodworks and talk shit and, and just, you know, it is what it is. So yeah, got to put in the effort. That's all. It doesn't matter if it's a side hustle or whatever it is. Uh, Success is not created without hard work. So it doesn't matter. Um, Absolutely. I, I think a big part of owning a piece of the future of content production, if it's podcasting, if it's blogging, owning a piece of the internet is so, you know, we live in what we're calling the creator economy now, where people are creating podcasts, they're creating TikToks, and they're making millions of dollars doing this, dude. I'm curious your perspective on this. You know, what are the key aspects to building and scaling a thought leadership program or a platform? If it is a podcast and the birth of Average Joe and where it is today, or if someone's out there blogging, I mean, really growing that and scaling that audience base and owning a piece of content production. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I can only really speak to the podcasting side because for whatever reason, that's the only side that I can do quite well in. My YouTube channel sucks. Uh, my TikTok has like 1300 something followers. Um, so yeah, it's a, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a difficult uh, question to really answer because um, I've been focused so much on the podcast. I, I think I'm going to try to take a round turn and focus on uh, growing my YouTube channel and TikTok and stuff. The, the only thing is, again, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. Like to scale on certain social media platforms like TikTok, you have to be posting three to five times a day, not the three times a week that I was posting. Uh, now I'm doing at least two a day between myself and the videos that my virtual assistant puts up for me. Um, and that's another thing that's been great is, is don't be afraid to outsource, especially if you're trying to scale and grow. That's one of the things that helped me grow the podcast uh, to where it's at today was was outsourcing and, and hiring an editing team and hiring a virtual assistant to to do some of the work that it's not necessarily that I don't want to do, just the work that I don't really have the time to put the 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 effort into because my time is worth more doing something else, you know? Important and I read a book last year, Who Not How, and it's it's detailing exactly what you're talking. I don't know if you've crushed that one yet, but it's it's a good one, dude. And it's just time is finite utilizing your time to do the hundred dollar an hour tasks instead of the 10 cents an hour tasks that an editing yes. team could do or something like that dude so that's that's huge absolutely dude. I, i'm curious to do like monetizing a podcast what what exactly goes into the monetization of a podcast is it based on monthly downloads or you know how many people are subscribing or, or what is kind of like the this is probably a, a poorly delivered question but what is like the industry standard of what people are paying to advertise on podcasts so I wouldn't say there's an industry standard, right? So when I, to find out what I what I believe my ad space is worth on my podcast, I I have this uh, service that I pay for called Podseeker, and uh, with that, you know, I was actually using that to get email uh, emails of podcasters for my podcast editing company to email them and say and offer my services, right? Uh, which is another thing I have my VA do, right? My VA sends out emails to all these different podcasters to to promote our service. So looking at that, when I started pulling up podcasts, I was like, it shows you the average downloads per episode and what the average ad cost Podseeker thinks that podcast is charging. So I was like, oh, let me look myself up. So I looked myself up and it showed, you know, how many downloads uh, per episode. It's very, very close, right? When I compare the Buzzsprout numbers and, and the, uh, my ad numbers, right? So I was like, this is very close. And it said on average that my podcast is charging $70 per ad spot. So I said, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to start offering private ad space and I'm going to charge $70, uh, you know, for, for like this, for a mid roll uh, and for, oh, I'm sorry for a pre-roll. And I think for a mid roll, I do $50. So it's a little bit lower. Um, and then for like a sponsorship, like to, to completely sponsor the episode, I think it's a hundred bucks or something. I don't know. Uh, but I have, I, I built a, a page on my website that somebody can go to and select what package they want. Then they can upload the script to me, what they want me to read. And of course, what I tell everybody that ever wants to advertise on my podcast, think of the audience. I don't want to just, I'm not going to advertise underwear. I'm not going to advertise an underwear company, right? Unless it's got like money symbols on it or something, or it says, you know, compound growth or some, uh, compound interest or something or, you know, I, whatever. But it's not, um, you know, you, you got to be careful with that because if you have, if you just start taking on any type of ad, uh, you know, people are going to come back to you and be like, oh, you know, I, I paid for this ad and I, I got no traction, blah, blah, blah. You got to think of the audience. So that's one of the disclaimers I put 
on my site too. It's like, hey, my audience, this is what they're listening to my show for. Make sure your ad is relevant to that. If not, don't submit an ad because um, <clears throat> I will happily you know, take your money and do your ad for you, but it's not going to make any sense. So <clears throat> actually I won't, I, I will, I will tell them to <laughs> just take their money back and it's, it's not going to work. So um, that's, that's the way that I do it. I don't know <clears throat> how some other people are doing it. Um, I use this other system too called Dynamo uh, Voxnest. And that actually automatically puts pre-roll and post-roll ads in my show for me. And it pays me. So uh, I had a buddy of mine reach out to me. He's like, hey, man, he's like, I was listening to your podcast and there was a Geico commercial. Like, how, how'd you get Geico to sponsor your show? I was like, oh, dude, I didn't get Geico to sponsor my show. It's it's a random ad from uh, from this Dynamo thing. And he started using it on his podcast. He's like, oh, man, it's like I'm making money now. This is cool. So that's one way to do it. So I share that with everybody that, you know, usually ask me like, hey, how do, how do I get started with ads. That's a great way to start. They pay a very, very low CPM. I mean, I, I make maybe a hundred dollars a month from that. Uh, if that sometimes it's, it's way less, it could be as low as 60. Um, cause I get like $3 per CPM or something, whatever. Um, but that's fine. It's, it's still, for me, it's still something that I don't have to do anything with. And, um, I, you know, that, that's money that I make in my sleep. If somebody's listening to my podcast while I'm sleeping at night, I just made, you know, three bucks, you know, so, Hey, it works out pretty good. Um, so yeah, so, uh, that's, that's a great way to get started and it helps you understand, uh, you know, what your audience is looking for. And the other thing that I like about Dynamo too, is you can actually niche it down. Um, so I have mine specific to be in the finance and real estate related commercials only. Um, cause when I first got it, it, it was like anything. So you could go, click on my podcast and it would be like a, a commercial about makeup. Like, what the heck is this? Why? Well, you know what? This is average Joe finances. What is this? So anyway, yeah, I was able to actually change, change the settings and, and niche it down. So it's pretty neat. And then all you do is you send the, the pre um, pre RSS feed URL to whoever your podcast host is, and they can put it in for you. Um, so I, I work with Buzzsprout, right? That's, that's who I host my podcast through. So I sent it to them, worked with their customer service. They had it in like the next day. And the ads started showing up on my podcast. It was pretty cool. And they're 30 seconds. Like it's not like a crazy, huge, long ad or anything like that. They're 30 second little pops. Most people probably just skip them. But even if they skip them, if they listen to like two seconds of it before they hit that skip forward 30 seconds, I made money. So it's it pretty is. cool. Yeah, no, that's super <laughs> cool. And like, I, I just love like, again, like the monetization of thought leadership platforms, it's where we're mm. heading. And it's just such a, whether it's, and maybe someone listening isn't interested in podcasts, but they're monetizing a YouTube channel or their TikTok or whatever. It's like, this is highly applicable. There's so many people out there looking to start a side hustle that I, I just found it so intriguing. And I know you've done really well in the space and where you scaled average Joe to, you know, not to gloss over this and how much success average Joe has, you know, gained from where you were in the very first episode I listened to was the Tim Kelly episode where you interviewed him in, in your first few weeks and where it is today. Um, oh yeah. You know, where I cut, where I cut him off short when he wanted to keep the conversation going. I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, dude, I mean, everybody, I, every interview I do, I get better and better. And it's so funny. Yeah. Even looking at, where world science is and where it was two months ago, it's still night and day. It's crazy. Um, you know, if you could pick, I guess, two or three aspects that were like the turning point for average show that took you maybe from the 30 to hundred and then maybe the hundred to like 5,000 plus download mark or, or whatever, dude, what were those two or three aspects? 
Okay. I would say that, um, when I started really focusing on how I interview people was, was a, was a big one because my first couple interviews, uh, so I, you know, I interviewed Tim and then after that I interviewed Christine Tay. Um, and then after that, I think it was, um, Eric Bowie. So yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember every, every one that I've done, uh, in the beginning. And I'm, I'm realizing like, I need to change my style, change how I'm doing this. Cause it was very robotic at first, like the complete opposite of the way I like to genuinely talk and have conversations with people. I was going off of a script. I had the stuff typed. I had the exact question I wanted to ask. So I asked that question. I got the answer. Cool. Um, oh, you want to talk about something else? Well, hang on. I got this other question I want to ask you. And then we never got to the stuff that the guests wanted to talk about. And I talked with Tim afterwards, after that episode, I was like, dude, I was like, my bad, man. Like I cut you off. You wanted to keep going. Cause I had this thing in my brain that said, don't let the episodes go more than 30 minutes because you want this to, you want somebody to listen to this on their commute and, and that's it. And like, I had this whole like mental block that was telling me not to do that. And right after that, my next interview, I said, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cut this one short. I'm going to let it go um, as far as it needs to go. So when I interviewed Christine, that one was like twice as long. And I'm like, okay, this is a little bit better, but still not where I want it to be. So I got, then I made the mistake where I had uh, two other interviews where they went for about three hours and I had to break it up into like three different episodes. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm going to put a three hour episode out there. That is insane. So, uh, okay, I'll break it into a part one, two, and three. So I did that. And I was like, Hmm, I'm not really sure this is working either. So I said, okay, I, I need to figure something out. So I started doing some research on like other podcasts and, and how they, you know, their different interview styles. And I was like, Oh, let me go back to my roots, the show that I love to listen to all the time. So I just started listening to more bigger pockets and just seeing how they're doing it. And I'm like, man, they're just having a conversation. Like they have set questions they like to ask, but they're just having a conversation. It's so comfortable. It's not awkward. I was like, that's, that's what I need to do. So I think it was around episode 15 or no, it was like 16 or 17 after I did that second three hour one. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to change this up a bit. So I changed my script. Um, I said, okay, I'm going to start this off with, with the person's bio. Um, I, I, I like doing it that way. And I was like, the first question I'm going to ask, I want to go in and I want to dive deeper into that person's background. Right. So that's the way I want to do it. And then from there, sure. I have more questions over here in my notes, but if I don't get to them, screw it. It's no big deal. I'm going to go with wherever the guest takes me, right? I want this to be a conversation. This is them selling themselves. That's what a podcast is, right? A, somebody goes on a podcast because they're selling themselves, right? They, they're trying to get people to hear their story. So I said, okay, I want to share your story. So come on my show, share your story, and we'll go from there. And that ever since I changed that, I think that's what took me from... Uh, that, that's what started increasing my downloads when my interview style cleaned up. But what really took me over to the next level was when I finally gave up on editing myself and outsourcing it to someone else. And I said, well, my podcast isn't making any money, but I'm going to spend money on it anyway. So I signed up for a service and I was paying, you know, a couple hundred a month for them to do all my editing and upload, you know, and, and, and do my audiograms and my social media caption video and my show notes and podcast artwork. And I'm like, man, I got all this time back. Where, 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 what's going on? Now I can focus more on making my show better, right? So that was uh, a huge turning point, I think, is when I started outsourcing. 
Uh, and then fast forward a little bit further, uh, you know, cause I'm sitting here, I'm sharing my podcast episodes and all these different social media groups and I'm on Reddit and all these other different places online. I'm like, man, this is like a freaking full-time job. I was like, my family doesn't know who I am right now. Cause I come home from work and then I'm on social media, like sharing stuff and going here, going there certain days of the week. I want to make sure it was here. So I was like, you know what? Let me build a schedule for the days that I do these different tasks and just put something together. So I, I did that. I said, okay, cool. Here's what my schedule looks like. Let me create a job application and go hire a VA to do this for me. Uh, so my first VA kind of uh, didn't work out that well because I did not, at the time, I did not build a job application. I just found somebody, hired them. As a matter of fact, it was somebody that pitched me in my Facebook uh, Messenger oh, uh, in my in my inbox, That's and I was like, dude. "Well, I know, but like normally, I, I don't." And I even told this person, I, was like, I, "I normally never respond to these." I was like, "But yeah. you're," I was like, "That was a really good pitch." I was like. Sure. Let's, let's, let's try. Right. It, it didn't really work out. Uh, and, and that's okay. Um, so I said, okay, I'm going to go on Upwork and I'm going to create this job application and I'm going to let people come to me. So instead of me going out and seeking somebody, so I put this job application out and in like an hour I had 25 applicants. I said, okay, cool. Go through all the applications. I picked five. I said, all right, scrutinize those five a little more, took one of them out. I said, okay, I'm going to interview these four people. So I interviewed four people. And then I came across this one that just, I mean, she just wowed me. I'm like, okay, like you want, you're basically saying you have no problem doing all this stuff the way that I want to do it. Like it's, it's completely random. Right. And I have this weird schedule and I was like, I want this stuff done at certain times on certain days. And she's like, yeah, no problem. I said, okay, cool. I was like, you know, the time difference is going to be an issue. She's like, nope. All good. I said, okay, cool. Well, you're hired. So start everything up. And once we worked out through a couple hiccups, right? Because there, there's some stuff lost in translation there. But we walk, we worked through a couple hiccups and she's been phenomenal. Um, I I would not be able to do what I'm doing right now if I didn't have an awesome virtual assistant. And then I said, Hey, I've got more stuff for you to do. I want to start emailing other podcasters and offering them my podcast editing service. I was like, uh, so I'm going to send you this list. I want you to email all these people individually. I was like, I don't want this going out on like a blast email. I want you to email each show individually, name the person, like call them out by name in the email and then talk about their show a little bit. And then, and then, you know, give the pitch for the, uh, for the podcast editing service. And she did it. And, um, you know, cause I gave her access to all my accounts. So she's in my email account doing all that. Um, and I've, I've just built this rapport and trust, uh, to the point where, I mean, she, she posts on my TikTok for me, right? So I do my own TikToks as well, but then she also goes in and she uploads stuff for me. And it got to the point where I don't even really look at the stuff she's uploading anymore because I, I trust her. I trust her that she's uploading, you know, good content. Um, so yeah, that, that's been, that was probably the biggest turning point, uh, was when I started outsourcing and, uh, getting some of that time back to do other things that were more important. Like you said, the, you know, doing, doing these, uh, focusing on the hundred dollar tasks versus the 10 cent tasks, you know what I'm saying? So that stuff is really important. Dude. Yeah. There's so much in there. It's I'm, I'm fighting the same fight you are. I mean, I outsource all the editing and stuff like that, but I find myself just on social media all day. LinkedIn, I, I crush LinkedIn and I get so many listens from there. Oh, I, I see it. Dude, <laughs> I, you are killing it on LinkedIn, like way better than me. Like I, I see your engagement on LinkedIn and then I look at mine and I'm like, what is Jesse doing, man? I was like, he's, I, I was like, and your posts, like the way you format them. Yeah. I was like, I need to steal some ideas from Jesse with how he's doing this stuff on LinkedIn because 
when I post on LinkedIn, I'll get like one or two likes and maybe like one comment. you got like these whole conversations happening down there. Like, Oh, Jesse, man, this is so cool. Great episode. I'm like, dude, Oh my God. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of Jesse. Dude, no, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, dude, the caption videos on there. Sometimes, like on average, I'll get like twenty likes on it just from a caption video, dude. It's crazy, but yeah. it just shows the work. I'm just super consistent on LinkedIn, where it's like I'm posting, like like you are, dude. Just or at one point you were like twice a week on IG, dude. It's just like I've got to bridge that gap. Um, getting ready to wrap up, like I I love talking like not real estate stuff or wealth building stuff at the end as we wrap up, and this. I usually ask these two questions, dude, but I want to take this in a different direction to end here. You and I are both New York guys and you're coming to the end of a 20 year career. Oh, that's right. That's I'm, right. I'm from upstate. You're from Long Island, dude. And I talk about, and we've had this conversation before this, you know, the impact of 9-11, what that had on ROI and joining the military. And I told you a story. I carried a piece of steel rebar from the World Trade Center on me when I deployed to the Middle East. Um, in 2020, dude. So when I look at your military career, again, you enlisted, you know, probably right over, right after 2001, dude. So I, I guess how impactful was 9-11 on that decision and how does it still impact you today? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So 9-11 happened uh, my senior year, right? And I had just enlisted in the delayed entry program, literally not even a month before that. It was August 17th, 2001 when I enlisted in the delayed entry program. And when 9-11 happened, I called my recruiter and said, hey, can I drop out of school and go early? I, I want to go right now. And they said, no, 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 just finish up and, and it's going to be fine. Or, you know, don't worry about it. But anyway, um, yeah, this, uh, this, this, uh, this kind of hurts, but yeah. So that year we, uh, so I, my high school band, right? So we were, we marched in the Labor Day parade in the city, right? We were literally there the week before. We were supposed to do the parade on September 11th. They moved it a week early. So we would have actually been there. So uh, I think about that and I just think about the entire situation of just how it happened, how, you know, my dad worked at JFK. He has his own trucking company. Uh, he had his own trucking company uh, doing air freight right out of JFK. And he, you know, heard the first plane hit, turn around and saw it. And he actually watched the second plane go into the tower himself. And when I, uh, when I came home from school, it was, it was very difficult because we didn't know when he was going to make it home because everything shut down. Like he had a very hard time getting home that day and he had to drive, you know, through the, the city to get back home. And, uh, it, cause at the, you know, he still had to make his delivery. So after he picked up his freight at JFK, he went elsewhere cause they, they were shutting the airport down. Like, right away. And uh, he's coming back and he had trouble getting over the bridge and uh, he gets home like super late at night and we're just talking. And it's the first time I ever like really saw my dad emotional and cry, like literally tears coming down his face from what he saw. And uh, that was, that was very hard. You know, that day in school, uh, we had several of our classmates whose parents worked in the world trade center and, uh, you know, they're getting called to the, to the principal's office and, and, uh, just to say, Hey, understand like your, your parents were in the building. Um, you know, if you need to go home or if you need anything, you know, we'll get you taken care of school shut down that day. Like literally like they made that announcement. We went on our second period class and all day, every class that we went to, all we did was had, had the news on. And we all just sat there and watched us history unfold right in front of us. Um, so it was a very um, difficult time, 
And it's one of the things that I look back on and I think about my career in the Navy. And it's one of the things that, that makes me proud of what I've done in the Navy uh, because, you know, it was a lot of effort to, uh, I wouldn't say like get revenge or anything, but, and we didn't even really fix the issue, but we were able to reconcile what happened on 9-11, um, at least in my eyes, we were able to reconcile that. And uh, I'm, I'm just proud to have been a part of that. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, it's just it's just part of that legacy that that lives on uh, for anybody that's ever served in the military. Um, I know you carry around your piece of steel. I, I, I was checking my pocket. I don't have my keys on me, but uh, all my keys, I actually have a key from the World Trade Center. Um, from It's one of the elevator keys, and it says World Trade Center on it. Um, that my girlfriend at the time, uh, her dad was a New York city firefighter. He brought some stuff home and she gave that to me. Um, and even after we broke up, I said, can I keep it? <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I carry that with me all the time because it's, it's, it's a reminder of why I did what I did while staying in the Navy, because it's one of the reasons why I stayed. It's one of the reasons why I stayed for sure. Um, Yeah. That's, uh, that story is, yeah, it's impactful. It's, it's deep. I mean, I'm picturing your father in real time turning around and I don't think anything can prepare you to see a commercial airliner collide with a building full of thousands of people, um, to watch that in real time. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy when I look at, you know, what is our generation's Pearl Harbor? What was our call to arms? And if you think of, and I, you know, I'm, like I'm like five, six years old, but I still remember it. I mean, you're at college, you were a senior in high school. And it's like, just remember what those weeks were like afterwards, how, you know, nobody gave a shit where you're from Yankees fans, Red Sox fans, you know, there was no division. It was everybody on that day was an American citizen. And that's all that mattered, brother. And um, yeah, dude, I appreciate you sharing that story. And, and I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, dude. This is seriously, this interview was circled on my calendar for the last two weeks. I'm not even joking right now. I, I can't thank you enough. I want people to follow up with you. You, you know, obviously the Average Joe Finance podcast, I love that podcast, but maybe there's a, a podcaster looking to start out there, doesn't know where to start, wants to, you know, do a consultation or something. How can people follow up with you and get a hold of you after the show? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I make it pretty easy. Um, you can just go to averagejoefinances.com slash links and you'll find all of my links to my social media and everything. Um, I also do pod, uh, podcast consultations as well for coaching uh, besides being a finance coach. So I do help other like new podcasters get started up. As a matter of fact, a buddy of mine and I were starting a podcast mastermind uh, actually starting February 1st. We've kept it kind of private. I actually, I don't think I've actually publicly put it out yet. We've just been emailing uh, specific people, clients that we work with to see if they want to be uh, or participate in it. And it's going to be a, a pretty awesome thing where we're going to do like the first 15 minutes with me or the other coach uh, giving a lesson and the the next 30 minutes and then, you know, a five minute wrap up, but the next 30 minutes is going to be somebody in the hot seat telling us their problem and we're going to be solving that problem together as a mastermind. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, or you could just shoot me an email, mike at averagejoefinances.com. And I will respond. Uh, some, sometimes I'm not the greatest at responding to emails right away, but I will respond to your email if you write to me. 
Mike, I, I can't thank you enough. Your story, it's incredible. Where we started an hour ago of, you know, $25,000 in credit card debt to where we are now, I mean, talking about more of what I consider to be the top financial podcast in the world right now. And to have you on today means a lot, brother. So thank you again for coming on. Jesse, you're today. blowing my head up, man. <laughs> dude, <laughs> thank I, you I, so I, much. Yeah, dude. Thank you again for coming on. It, it means a lot. And uh, yeah, brother, we'll keep uh, growing together here in this community. So thanks again. For sure, man. Aloha. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.